Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe-Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Hello, and thank you for being with me today. Thank you for taking the time to dedicate your attention and your energy to growing and transforming. Today I'd like to talk about repair, relationship repair, so, so important. Because relationship repair exists, we can make mistakes and we don't have to be perfect and get it right the first time. So I would like to invite you into a focus on repair, what it means, and what it requires for it to be effective. For you to continue to thrive in a relationship and to find your way back to connection. And that's the definition of repair that I would like to present, is just that, that our everyday state, our ongoing state in a relationship is one of some level of connection, a level of connection that matches what we need for that relationship. And when that level of connection that we need for that relationship is interrupted or drops away, then we repair that connection like a wire that has been come has become disconnected right we repair the wire we repair the connection and of course this intention to maintain a quality of connection in a given relationship is based on this consciousness that it is the quality of connection that cares for our needs and the needs of others that helps our relationships and our world thrive. It's not about managing behaviors or situations or arranging things in some perfect way so that we can have a good relationship. You can do it that way, but it's exhausting. (laughs) It's much more easeful and gives you a sense of freedom when you attend to the quality of connection first and ask moment by moment, what's going to support our connection? And the quality of connection that you need with a given person varies based on what you do together, right? With your rock climbing buddy, you need a quality of connection that's focused on safety and having fun, enjoying nature. With your coworker, you need a different quality of connection that supports focus and collaboration, competency. And with a partner or a child, someone very close to you, you need a quality of connection that gives a sense of emotional security, a deep sense of trust, 
that holds a sense of mutual caring, warmth. So then repair is attending to that quality of connection that you need for that particular relationship. And so I think it's pretty easy to notice when you're disconnected. So I'm not going to go into that. It's pretty easy to notice. There's a tension. There's something that's off. There's um, a friction in what is normally a fairly smooth way of interacting with someone. And I propose to you that no amount of disconnect, friction, or being off with someone is too small to attend to with repair. In fact, of course it's true that the more you attend to the smallest moments of disconnect, the more easily you re-enter the bigger moments of disconnect and find that repair because you're creating that habit. You're building that trust. Oh, we can miss each other and we can come back. When you do it on a small scale, you're building trust. And then when you have a big disconnect, you have a whole layer of trust that we can repair. Eventually you can get to a level of trust in repair that when there's something to repair, there's a certain amount of looking forward to that happy about that because you also discover that with the process of repair you learn about the other person you deepen your self-awareness and because you've disconnected and come back you build resilience in that relationship that relationship takes on a certain depth of trust resilience it has a stronger foundation Okay, that's the big picture with repair. So today, with the very specific part of what creates effective repair, I want to offer you at least three main ideas to remember and skills to practice. The first is that you recognize the incredible importance of managing reactivity within a repair process. Without that, without your ability to manage reactivity, oh, repair can last for decades, right? A repair process can last for decades. And so we'll talk a little bit about managing reactivity and the consciousness of an, a traditional apology versus the consciousness of repair. The other thing I want to really transmit to you is that you are a complex being. <laughs> and so repair needs to land at all the levels of your being for simplicity Let's just name three levels of being. Your body, your nervous system, your emotions, your heart, and then expanding out to who you are as a spiritual being. 
So that's the second main point that I'll focus in on is how do you engage in repair so that it really lands fully with yourself and with the other person. And then the last thing is understanding what completes a repair process. So jumping into this idea of warmth and mutual care and specific and doable agreements. Okay, let's dive in. Because we live in a world that has a tremendous amount of conditioning regarding right and wrong, deserve, don't deserve, it's so easy to, when someone's done something that's been painful for you and hasn't met your needs, or or you've done something, usually it works both ways in a given relationship, right? It's so easy for your mind to go to, what did I do wrong? What did they do wrong? And right there on the tail of wrong and right, of course, is punishment and reward. Oof, that's a heavy one, right? When you imagine that you've done something wrong and therefore you deserve to be punished, it makes repair incredibly difficult. It opens up a whole book of questions that we don't even want to be asking. So I'm just going to name that for now. And I want to bring us back to this consciousness of connection in which repair doesn't exist in this world of right and wrong, deserve, don't deserve punishment and reward. That exists here in this world of There's some things I do that meet needs for others and myself and facilitate connection, support connection. And there's some things I do that don't do that. (laughs) Right? And it really doesn't matter. You don't need to analyze what was I thinking or what's wrong with me that I did something that didn't meet needs. You might want mental clarity about how that came to be. That's different. What's more important is to ask the question, ah, what specific behavior of mine did not meet what specific needs of yours? Or the reverse, right? To get really, really clear. What specific behavior words, decisions, actions of the other person didn't meet needs for me or triggered the perception of unmet needs, as the case may be. Getting really, really specific. If this is a relationship in which you have some pain from past behaviors that have not been repaired, this step can be really difficult. But when you're just asking that question, what needs are connected to what behaviors, you're already finding freedom from right, wrong, and deserve punishment and reward. That step is absolutely crucial for the repair process to be effective and efficient. 
When you ask that question, it also helps with reactivity. When I teach a long series on repair or a workshop on repair, I often name four types of reactivity, the four alarms. Do you remember what those are from other podcasts or connection gems? The four alarms was something that Marshall Rosenberg named in nonviolent communication. They're feelings that are associated with reactive thinking. They're valid feelings like anything else. And they're also alarming us to reactivity is present. It would be helpful to check in. And the four alarms are anger, guilt, shame, and shutdown. When one of those are present for you, there's a good chance you will derail repair over and over again. And it is because of those four types of reactivity that you think you have repaired something and it just keep coming comes up. It keeps coming up because that reactivity interrupts the absorbing of true repair. Okay. So on my website, I have, I think, an entire class. Well, I have many classes on reactivity. At one point, I did a class in person on the four alarms. We'll do one again soon. Okay, so reactivity is supported, the dissolution of reactivity is supported by entering into the empowering question, what needs were not met by what behaviors? You're making a lot of progress already when you say that. Otherwise, you can include other um, forms of regulation. And we have a whole handout on regulation on my website. Okay, let's talk about the second element of repair, being able to absorb the repair. This is so difficult in a world in which, for most of us, the rate of speech and interaction moves faster than your nervous system. And so what that means is that your nervous system is continually trying to catch up. And there's a baseline of dysregulation already functioning, even without a reactive stimulus. So just pause for a moment for the grief of that, that most of us are managing a level of dysregulation just from the pace of daily life and the thought that we need to keep up with it, right? That's the clincher. That we imagine that this pace of daily life that is pushed through systems at large is something we need to align with. It's not. <laughs> oh, so hard. So hard on you. So hard on nervous systems of living beings when they are pushed to keep up with an artificial rhythm of life. And because in repair, 
We're not only trying to bring our nervous system back down to baseline, what it would like to function at, we're also managing a level of reactivity. It's even more important that we slow everything down and we even go a little bit slower than the average pace of your nervous system. So that means allowing a pause. And that's the responsibility of both parties. If you receive mm, empathy from someone whose behavior had an impact on you that didn't meet your needs, and they offer you empathy, ah, it makes sense what you're saying. I can see how when I did that, that wouldn't offer you the consideration and respect that you need. I'm so sorry. I really regret that my behavior did not meet your needs for consideration and respect. I really care about being a contribution to you, about considering you, respecting you. Right? They deliver a beautiful, caring apology based on connection. It's still up to you to hear their words, to not let your mind travel back to the initial event and replay the hurt. It's up to you to focus. Ah, this person is offering me this apology. They regret what happened. They care about the impact on me. Let me just take that in. Even though my nervous system is still escalated with the hurt and the anger over what happened, right now what's happening is this person is caring about me and their impact on me. It's up to you to stay focused there and take that in. It's up to the other person to allow that space to be quiet, <laughs> to go quiet, and let you take it in. That's really hard if reactivity is present. If the person who gave the apology is anxious about getting your approval or your acceptance because guilt and shame is circling around in their consciousness, they won't wait long enough. They won't keep their focus on you and you absorbing their caring. They won't stay in that caring state. Oof. So many times working with couples especially, I see the person who gave the apology soften. I see their heart open with that true caring and regret. I see their partner notice that and start to take it in. And then the process is interrupted and the person who gave the apology sudden re suddenly remembers their own hurt. Oh. And that beautiful moment of potential healing has been lost. It's not really additive, unfortunately. It might be a little bit additive. But the power of that interruption is so strong that it sweeps away that little bit of connection that was created. And so you can remind the other person, 
hang on, I, I really want to take in what you said. I'm hearing your caring. I'm hearing your regret. I'm hearing your desire to consider my needs. And I just need more time to take that in. Let me just repeat, repeat what you said because that will help me take it in. Right? Maybe you're verbal like that, so you want to repeat what you heard and the apology. That can really help regulate the nervous system. It also gives both of you something to focus on so you're less likely to go off in any direction. Hmm. And then you repeat back and then you said, just give me a minute to let my whole body, heart, and spirit receive your care. And what you're looking for in that moment is a settling. It doesn't mean that other parts of you won't be circling around, wondering what will happen next time and so on. Well, you're looking for that, something settles, something relaxes, usually in the center of your body. Whichever side of the dialogue you're on, that's what you're watching for. Is there a settling? And then once there's a settling, you notice it, either by observing the other person or observing yourself, depending on the side of the dynamic you're on in the moment. You wait another full breath or a few breaths. You wait again. Because in that space, after the settling, opens a new space. You just wait for that space to open. It's starting to clear. Right? The room is starting to clear. The emotional, spiritual, physical room is clearing. And you'll feel it. You'll start to feel that space form. And when that space forms, you'll know, ah, okay, now I'm ready for the next part. Whatever that might be, depending on your repair process. It might be having some clarity about what was going on for the other person when they did what they did that didn't meet needs for you. You might be able to hear that now to understand what was happening in their world. It might be moving forward, saying, well, what can we do next time? It depends. Okay, so that's the piece about taking it in, watching for those signs. The last piece is that often a repair process closes with a new agreement about what to do together in a similar future situation. Oftentimes folks want to skip to the end and get to this part. Well, next time I just want you to, and then you say what you want the other person to do or to not do. You know, if the repair is really small, sometimes it works like that. It's enough to just say, ah, that didn't work for me. Next time, would you be willing to do it this way? And you ask for what you want. Much more effective, of course, to ask for what you want rather than what you don't want. Anytime someone does something, they're doing it to meet some need of theirs. So if you just tell them, don't do that, it's like saying, 
don't have that need. That's not a doable request. That need wants expression somehow. But we're looking for another way for that need to express itself. And so that final thing that I want to talk to you about here, about the closing, includes both sets of needs that were present when the disconnect occurred. Ah, I see. When you did that thing, when you canceled our date that was so important for both of us, you had a need to take care of your children, to contribute to your family because your children were sick and your co-caregiver was out of town. Ah, and in that moment, you didn't know how to recognize the importance of both. Oh, I get it. So even though that person may choose to cancel a date with you and take care of their sick children again, that doesn't mean there can't be a new agreement about the care for the relationship in those decisions, right? So maybe there's a new agreement. Ah, next time. Could you let me know as soon as you see a child getting sick? Or next time, could we just have a phone call instead of a text so I can hear your voice and get a felt sense of what it's like for you when your co-caregiver's away and your child becomes sick? And that will help me just to move right into compassion and to interrupt anything I might do to take it personal or So you're entering into that new agreement with this consciousness of what, how can we care for the needs of all involved next time we're in a future similar situation. And there's a tricky part here because if you're working with a relationship in which you've had agreements that have been broken again and again, this is going to be a tough step, right? It's going to be a tough part of repair. Hmm. So I just want to name that hmm. just because there's a new agreement doesn't necessarily mean like it's all flowers and balloons. You don't necessarily feel 100% better. Especially when we're repairing deep hurts or unmet needs that have occurred on multiple occasions. Repair goes on for a long time as we make a new agreement and we see the other person keep that agreement and we build trust over time that we are learning together a new way to care for our needs, to have that mutual care. So that's difficult, right? You're waiting for that to happen. That, that um, You're watching Am I keeping the agreement? Is the other person keeping agreement? And what I'd hope for you there is that two things that you would become aware of, maintain awareness of. One is that there's a good chance that if agreements were broken in the past, they were never agreements in the first place. They were agreements in which one or both people said yes, but inside they were a no. Or they were agreements that were vague they weren't quite clear enough to really be doable. You had one idea of what it meant to keep the agreement and the other person had another idea. 
And so the agreement was broken. And maybe both of you were so frustrated that you never talked about it. Right? You can see how that builds mistrust over time. So in making a new agreement, it's so important that it's 100% clear. And so with that, I suggest you do, ah, okay, so our new agreement is this. And then you do, for example, for example, the next time this happens, I envision myself saying and doing this, and I envision you saying and doing this. If you don't do that part of that specific envisioning, like you're watching a video of the future event and describing what's happening on the video, if you're not doing that part, oof, the chances are pretty low that the agreement will be kept. There's a certain humility necessary when making agreements that mm, we misunderstand each other a lot. <laughs> We're not as clear as we think we are. And so getting into that shared reality about what the agreement is, is really, really important. And the second thing I want to say about keeping agreements is that ideally agreements are experiments. They have that energy of curiosity and, oh, I wonder if this is going to work rather than this is what I know will work and this is what I want you to do. Oof. That's more like demands. If the agreement has a demand tone, really unlikely that it will be kept because everyone values their autonomy. And a demand is saying your autonomy doesn't matter to me. I just want you to do what I think will work. Hmm. Tragic strategy. So an agreement that's going to be effective is one that's constantly evolving because it's an experiment. And so ideally, you have a check-in point. And that check-in point is either time-based or event-based, for example. It might be okay in our regular check-in or on our, in our meeting on Monday, whatever the relationship is. Let's revisit and see if this is working for both of us and if we still understand or it's gotten confused since we've talked. Or I notice that we're going to have a similar situation like this in two weeks when such and such happens. Could we check in after that and see how it went? If our needs were met, if the agreement worked. So you have this process of checking in with your experiment. All agreements are just experiments. They're ideas about how we might maintain connection. Okay, let's review. The most important piece of repair is to move into the consciousness of connection in which you connect behaviors to needs met or unmet. And you can find a list of universal needs on my website. That's the most important piece because when you land there, you move out of this world of right, wrong, deserve, undeserve, 
which stimulates more reactivity. And that reactivity will derail repair again and again. So it's really important to check in with the four alarms. Anger, shame, guilt, and shutdown. Before you enter into a repair dialogue, check in to see if any of those are present for you. Engage a process of self-empathy or receive empathy from someone outside the situation. The second thing is recognize that the world moves faster than our nervous systems. And so for repair to take hold, you need to pause and let your whole body catch up and receive that care for each other until there's a settling and then a space before you move on to the next step in the repair process. A settling and a space. It might seem like a small eternity if you live in a fast-paced environment, typically, if you don't have that habit of pausing, slowing down. And then lastly, mm, repair has a sense of closing when there's that sense of warmth, the level of warmth that you usually have in that relationship, right? Care for each other's needs, an open curiosity, and then an agreement about what to do next time in a similar situation. An agreement that lives as an experiment and has a check-in time coming later to see how it's going. Repair is such an important and incredibly complex process. We have an eight-week course on repair, a pre-recorded course on my website that you can check out if you want to learn more. There's a lot of subtleties and details that we learn there. It's beyond the scope of this podcast. I invite you to consider checking that out at wiseheartpdx.org. And this week, I invite you just to notice even those little moments of being off with someone and asking yourself, ah, what's needed here? What do I need or what does the other person need to come back? A little reassurance, a little more seeing of the other person. Are you needing something to be heard or seen? Are you wanting a different kind of listening? Maybe a celebration? Ask that empowering question when you notice a moment of disconnect. What's, what's needed in this relationship that if it were attended to, would bring us back into connection. Start with that very simple question. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I have deep gratitude for your practice. Together we're shifting consciousness in this world, awakening to love and gratitude, and living it in our daily lives. Radiating love from my heart to yours. You can learn more about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue 
and find free resources, live offerings, and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org. You can also connect with Wiseheart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.